Good morning. I got to tell you, it is just encouraging to see all of you. I know many of us have been texting, emailing, keeping up with one another over social media, and, um, and I am just happy to see you present um, here, okay, uh, for the most part, it seems. Um, so I am thankful for that and thankful that God's grace has drawn us together uh, on this Sunday morning and that we are present. And I want you to know that as your pastor, seeing you here, hearing you worship, singing loudly has already been an encouragement to my soul as I've been looking forward to this day as we walk through Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and all the unknowns uh, together. I was longing and looking forward uh, to this time together to be able to see your faces and to hear you sing and to know that by God's grace, we are truly okay. Well, all that to say, I am encouraged already this morning. I hope you are as well. I am thankful that you're here. I do want to remind you again that if there is anything that we can do uh, as a church to help or assist in any way in the aftermath of the storm, then please know that we are here. We are available. Uh, reach out to us. Um, reach out to your elders. Reach out to one another. And as we continue to recover from this storm, and even in the days after, when we start getting back to normal again, uh, let's continue to care for one another and lift one another up as we walk through our lives. Well, I'm hoping that today uh, will be a little more normal for you. We are going to continue walking through Second Peter, um, where we have already stated in Second Peter um, that Peter is clearly writing to the Gentile church. He's writing to uh, the Gentile believers. So we are right back in Second Peter chapter. One And in writing this particular letter, Peter is writing to the believers for the purpose, like we stated last week, to remind the believers to never forget. Now, in our text this morning, Peter's going to write to the believers specifically about their calling and how their daily lives should now reflect the very character of Christ who has now called them to him. So let's just go ahead and, and jump into our text this morning and see that Peter is now calling the church to never forget the calling. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to turn with me and join me in Second Peter. We'll begin reading in chapter 1, verse 5. And once you have found your place, if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the word of the Lord. Now again, this is Peter writing to the church. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5, Peter writes, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. You can be seated. 
Now, if I could, I want to set the scene for you. Again, this is Peter writing to the Gentile believers. And as we already have seen from 1 Peter and now are, are seeing a glimpse of again in 2 Peter, Peter clearly knew his calling. You see, like Jesus Christ and, and his calling from the beginning of his ministry, walking all the way to the cross that would ultimately lead to his resurrection, Peter, like Christ, was unapologetic about his call to make the good news of Jesus Christ known. In fact, it was Peter who, by this point in his writing, allowed his calling to order his priorities and at the same time dictate his very life. And so with his calling in mind, Peter wanted the believers to know the calling that God has now placed upon their lives. But at the same time, it was Peter in writing this portion of 2 Peter chapter 1, he wanted the believers to then allow their calling to determine how they should now live in light of everything that was now happening around them. Now again, before we jump into our text, when most people talk about calling, what ultimately happens is they are led to believe that what it is that we're going to be speaking of speaks specifically about what it is that you were called to do for the mission of God. Now, that is actually a part of the calling, but it's not the complete picture. In fact, when we read this text again together in just a few moments, this specific calling that Peter's talking about deals more specifically to our position of being in right relationship with God. Now, we know this because Peter actually uses words to lead us in that direction. He uses words in the text like faith, knowledge, cleansing, and entry, all within our passage today in verses 5 through 11. So what we have before us is not just a clear distinction on what it is that God has called us to do for the mission of God, but rather what we have before us is a word of encouragement for the believers, and better yet, a word of affirmation for the believers as well. You see, Peter's goal was very simple. He wanted the believers in Christ to realize that God, through salvation in Jesus Christ, has now called us to himself, and he did so without any help from us. So this morning, what I'm hoping that we will see together as we unpack this passage even further, is that we will now see how we as believers in Christ are called to steward, or better yet, protect the gracious calling that is now upon our lives. And Peter's going to show us two ways to steward this gracious calling. First, in verses 5 through 9, Peter says that we must be committed to the calling. Now again, in these two points, what you're going to see is one point is actually going to build off of the other. But more on that in a moment. Now notice when we come back to verses 5 through 9, our passage actually opens with Peter teaching that as believers who are recipients of the glorious calling of grace, we have been given a faith and a calling that now comes with great responsibility. You see, we have been given the power of God to journey with God in order to grow or be sanctified in the very image of God. So based on these phrases, we now know it's safe to assume that as Christians today, we have some skin in the game when it comes to our faith. Now again, when we 
talk about skin and the game. This is not something that we've invested in in order to gain some sort of reward. That would mean that we now have a works-based faith, and that is not true. But rather what Peter is talking about this morning is he is talking about the fact that we as Christians now have an obligation to live out our calling in response to the reward that has already been given to us through Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and Lord. Now, in verses 5 through 7, Peter begins his appeal for the believers to make progress in their calling by growing in several moral traits that they have now received as a result of their faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 5, Peter says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Now, I think James would probably agree with Peter at this moment. In fact, you can read James' letter himself to understand where he would agree. But Peter, along with James, teaches that believers, because of their faith, are now obligated to grow in their faith. You see, Peter in this first passage is literally saying, by God's grace, we are responsible to be bricklayers in this divine construction project that is our lives. In other words, we add bricks given to us by the grace of God and we lay them in our lives according to the blueprint that is set out before us by the Word of God. In other words, What Peter has just given to the church is this beautiful tension that now exists between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Now to understand what I'm talking about, Peter's going to get into a message of the doctrine of election and how all this works. But I want us to go back and, and unpack the difference and the tension that exists between divine responsibility or divine sovereignty and human responsibility. If you go back and look at verses 3 and 4 of 2 Peter chapter 1, we see the undeniable truth that the calling on our lives is the work of God alone. We didn't earn our salvation. Our salvation was not given to us because we were fast one day in our 20s. Our salvation was not given to us because we looked really good when we were teenagers. Our salvation was not given to us because God knew one day in our 50s and 60s and 70s we would be wickedly smart. That's not why we have salvation. Salvation was given to us by the grace of God. It was given to us by the work of of God. So then, that's verse 3 and 4. Then you move to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. And Peter then teaches the truth that we are and will be liable to now do something with the calling that has been given to us by the grace of God. Again, divine sovereignty working in correlation with human responsibility. To give you a better idea of what I'm talking about, earlier this week, uh, if you're on social media, I posted Psalm 118, verse 24. Unpack this psalm with me. It says, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. Divine sovereignty. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Human response, human responsibility. 
You see, I think we need to understand the distinction here because too many people today want to look at Peter's words here and they want to argue for no free will or better yet, they want to argue against the doctrine of election or they want to argue no divine sovereignty or better yet, they want to misquote the doctrine of election in and of itself. But upon further review of this passage, I think we'll see that Peter actually teaches that both divine sovereignty and human responsibility exist. In fact, they work together. It was Charles Spurgeon who said of this particular point that I never try to reconcile friends because there's no need to reconcile them when they're friendly. You see, as Christians today, as believers in Jesus Christ... Those entrusted with this gracious calling, we cannot be passive about our stewardship of God's call. In other words, we now have a part to play in this story by the grace of God. Now notice what happens next in our text. Peter then gives us a list of attributes that are necessary for the believers to mature in their calling. Now before we get into this list, I want us to notice that the structure of these verses actually indicate that each attribute is connected to its predecessor. And we see that in the use of the word supplement. In other words, in using this particular word in verse 5, Peter is calling for both generous and costly participation in the attributes that are now listed for us to have within our lives. But even before we get into the attributes, notice the phrase that Peter gives us in verse 5. He says, your faith. Notice that Peter begins by reminding the believers that none of these attributes would even be possible if it doesn't start with faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, faith in God is the root of all the virtues that Peter is now going to list. And from there, Peter is now going to give us a list based on faith of seven attributes. The first five that grow out of our relationship with God, while the last two represent our relationship to one another. So let's just walk through these briefly and quickly, if you will. First, we'll begin in verse 5 with the word virtue. Virtue meaning goodness or moral excellence. Notice that Peter here teaches that none of us are born good. None of us are born virtuous. Rather, by God's grace, we have now been given the ability to grow in virtue. We have been given the power and the ability to grow and to live out goodness in our lives according to the will of God. From there, he gives us in verse 5, knowledge. Now again, Peter has already mentioned knowledge in verses 3 and 4. However, this particular knowledge is a different type of knowledge. You see, instead of speaking to full and intimate knowledge like he did before, Peter is now actually referencing practical wisdom. In other words, here's what Peter is saying. In order to be virtuous, in order to grow in goodness, we must live in practical wisdom, or better yet, practical discernment according to the Word of God. From there, in verse 6, he gives us the the word self-control. Or better yet, a call to submit to Christ who is in us in order to control the passions that exist around us. You see, as Christians today, living out this particular attribute means that we now need to control our passions. We now need to control our desires as opposed to being controlled by our passions and our desires. Now, this may seem obvious to us today. 
And I totally, I totally get that and I totally understand that. But bear in mind the church that Peter was writing to. You see, they were now beginning to experience false teachers that taught them to give in to their passions. These false teachers taught them to give in to their desires because giving in to your passions and your desires that would ultimately lead to sin, they said were actually signs of maturity. From there, Peter gives us the attribute of steadfastness, verse 6. Steadfastness meaning endurance, especially in light of the false teachings that they were hearing and in light of persecution. Pretty self-explanatory. So we have virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness. All these then lead to godliness in verse 6. Or better yet, an appropriate respect, reverence, and devotion to God. Here Peter describes a relationship with God that should then spill out to the relationships that we now have with those around us. And this leads to our final two attributes, which actually deal with our relationships with one another. Verse 7, he says, brotherly affection. Or better yet, the kindness, generosity, and courtesy that is shared amongst Christian brothers and sisters. In other words, Peter says that in light of godliness, which is found in our endurance, which is under the self-control submitting to Christ because He has given us practical wisdom in order to seek to be good and morally excellent, we now have a responsibility to care for one another and lift one another up as believers in Christ. And then Peter gives us our seventh virtue. Verse 7, he says, love. Now here is the pinnacle of the attribute that Peter gives. And I want us to understand that when Peter talks about the word love here, he's not simply talking about Philadelphia. He's not talking about brotherly love. Okay, He's not talking about romantic love either. But rather the word love that's being used here is agape love, which is the love that God demonstrated towards us through Christ. It's the same love that God desires for us to have towards Him. And it's a similar love to what we are to now have towards one another. Now to unpack this a little bit, what Peter is saying is this particular type of love desires the highest good for the one being loved and thus demonstrates itself through sacrificial actions for that one. Now we know that God demonstrated this love for us and how it was God who sent His Son to die on a cross for our sins. And it's now because of the relationship we have in Christ, we now have the, the responsibility to love God in that same way, saying to God, Lord, because of what You have done, I am now handing You my life. Whatever it is You desire. It's why we are able to even sing one thing I ask that I would seek to dwell in the house of the Lord all of my days. We can sing that today because of God's love for us. And we now should desire that when we sing it because of our love for Him. You see, here's the truth today. When we look at these seven attributes. These attributes cannot be achieved on our own. Rather, they are given to us by God. Remember, this whole thing started back with faith. And so it's now God who allows us 
if you will, the ability or the responsibility to grow in these attributes so that we can sacrificially care for one another and thus reveal our commitment to what it is that God has done through Christ. And so church, I want to ask you today, are you committed to the calling? Are you committed to the calling that Jesus Christ has placed upon your life when he called us to him? So Christian, don't mishear Peter today. Rather, let's nurture these attributes in our life. But at the same time, let's recognize that these seven attributes are not exhaustive. There are other things in the Bible that we are called to. However, for Peter today and speaking to the Gentile church, Peter's point was simple for them. He said, look, authentic faith in Christ should be progressing in our lives by manifesting God-honoring attributes like the ones that have been listed. So you see, this list is just a start to our progression in growing in our faith. Church, can I encourage you with something today? Many people have often asked, Pastor, where do I look in the Bible to to grow in my faith? Where do I look in the Bible to grow in my understanding of who God is? Can I encourage you to just to study verse 5, 6, and 7 of 2 Peter chapter 1 for a little bit? Maybe define those attributes for yourself according to the word. Pray them over your life. Maybe get together with someone who's willing to hold you accountable and say, hey, how do you think I'm doing at this particular attribute? Dare I say you ask your spouse that question and then be prepared for the answer. Don't get defensive, but be prepared to receive that answer in grace. Some of you are already looking at your spouse. Some of your spouses already have a list of what they want to say to you. Okay? And that's okay. Either way, let's realize that This faith that has been given to us by God now comes with the responsibility of a call to continue to grow and be sanctified in it as well. Now notice what happens in in verses 8 and 9. Peter now wants the believers to be productive in their faith. And so notice what Peter does. He actually gives and communicates uh, contrasting thoughts here. One's a positive thought, one's a negative thought. And so what Peter's going to state here is this. As a Christian, here's the truth. You are either progressing in godly character, you are either growing in godly character, or you're not. And if you're not, the truth is this. You are declining in that character. Notice in verse 8, it says this, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing. I would underline or highlight the word increasing there. You see, Peter states that if we are growing in the attributes mentioned before, then our godly character will enable us to stand strong against the doctrines of false teaching. Now again, there's this word increasing that we now have to deal with. In other words, Peter is saying that these attributes should now be overflowing within our lives. In other words, as Christians seeking to grow in our faith, as Christians being sanctified, we now are called to live a God-honoring life that should ultimately be prominent in all that we say and all that we do. And then notice what happens in the text. Notice that Peter in verse 8 gives us the result of this increase. He gives us the result of this overflow, if you will. He says, and they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, there's these words ineffective and unfruitful. These are actually synonymous in the context. Peter is saying this, listen, our faith should be seen in our works. 
Our faith should be seen in these attributes that should ultimately lead us to doing good works for the glory of God because of what it is that God has already done for us. You see, Peter tells us that these attributes lead us to everything that we need for godly living. So Christian, I want to ask you today, do you, do you begin to see now how divine sovereignty and human responsibility actually work together in our lives? Do you see how knowing Christ gives us all that we need in order to, to live an effective and fruitful life? This all began with God, divine sovereignty, and yet at the same time, our failure to unleash these godly characteristics will produce a powerless knowledge in Christ, which is now our human responsibility. Now again, Peter's going to strengthen his point here by showing the result of what happens when we disobey the appeal. Verse 9, he says this, for whoever lacks these qualities, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins church did you hear that i mean hear it contextually when we are so focused on our personal desires when we are so distracted in our prayers, when we are so uh, just discombobulated when we come into worship, when we are no longer focused on the Word of God and we're focused on everything around us, Peter says that we become blind to how the gospel of God's forgiveness and the gospel of God's grace can affect and impact everything in our life. And when we are blind... We begin to focus on earthly pursuits. And thus we lose sight of the big picture of God's hand at work. Notice that Peter is saying nearsightedness leads believers to focus on what is front of them as opposed to seeing everything in life in light of the context of God's grace. Now these moments come at us Hard as believers and hard as non-Christians. Generally, they're, they're wrapped up in frustration or they're wrapped up in some sort of self-doubt or they're wrapped up in some sort of denial. So think of it like a hurricane, if you will. You've got some sort of denial, some sort of pride that's at the center of the storm and it's feeding our self-doubt. It's feeding our frustration and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and begins to spin so much out of control that ultimately we lose sight of the fact that we are even forgiven by God. And then in turn, we begin to believe that God cannot nor has not ever forgiven us of our past sins. Let me unpack what I'm talking about a little further. Too many times I hear Christians say things like this. And this always is accompanied by whatever storm they're going through, whatever bad thing that's happening in their life. They say this, because of my sin, God has not forgiven me. I want to tell you this morning, there are consequences to our sin. But here's the reality. It is short-sighted of us, near-sighted of us, to even view God's grace and forgiveness in this way. Your struggles today 
My struggles today have nothing to do with what happened to us years ago. So Christian, can I encourage you in the same way Peter tries to encourage the church here? Would you just forgive yourself for a moment and move on? Would you just forgive yourself of of past sins and simply let go and move on with life? You see, the reality is when people land where Peter is describing in verse 9, here's what happens. They quickly find themselves immersed in their own self-pity, which then ultimately leads to self-doubt and questioning, which ultimately, if we are not careful, will lead to apostasy or a denial of Christian faith. And so we have to be careful that we do not fall into this trap. At the same time, though, for people who do have strong faith, we have to be careful of this trap because what can happen to us is we fall into gospel amnesia, if you will, meaning that we will occasionally forget that we have been forgiven by the grace of God. And so Christian, I don't know what you're going through, but whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that's making you think, I'm not good enough for God, whatever is making you think, hey, this sin is hindering me from God, this thing I did years ago is holding me back from God, can I just encourage you that you need to take a few moments and remind yourself of the goodness of the gospel, which is where Peter started us last week in verses 1 through 4? And if you don't think you can do it yourself, then can you stop for a moment and allow someone else to remind you of the gospel? Look, man, you don't have to, you don't have to tell people what you're going through. You don't have to give the details of your life. Okay, it's kind of like, I don't know if you guys have Ring right now, the Ring app. Holy smokes, man, that thing was going off in my house 24-7. It was everything from, when are we going to get power back, to... Is McDonald's open? I never thought that we would be asking questions about a fast food chain over a ring. I never thought, but here we were, living the dream. I never thought we'd get to that point, but there we were. But here's here's the problem. People use that app to say, hey, there's a problem, tell me what happened. And the reality is this, we don't need the details. Christian, can I tell you something? Can you live in the freedom of the fact that when when you want to go to someone, you can simply say to them, hey, I'm just having a hard time right now. I'm having a downtime. Can you just can you just speak the gospel back over me? And that should be enough. And if you're on the other side of that, you're hearing that message, can you just do yourself a favor? And instead of asking the first question being, what happened? Can you just say this? Can you just say, okay? And then give them the gospel? And then let the Spirit of God do what the Spirit of God does? Proclaim the gospel to one another. Christians, I hope we remember that our faith was not and is not a one and done moment. Rather, as Peter says to us, we need to remain committed to the calling. We need to see that this commitment calls us to continue to grow and mature within our faith. Christian. Our faith is not a sprint. This is a marathon. And right now we're playing the long game. So I have to ask this morning, are we committed to grow in our faith? Are we committed to remain focused on the power of the gospel? Are we seeking to grow in the calling of Jesus Christ and that calling upon our lives? Are we truly committed to the calling? This would lead Peter into his 
second point that he makes in verse 10 and 11. Building off of the commitment to the calling, he now says this, that not only must we be committed to the calling, but because of this commitment, we must confirm the calling. Notice again that Peter is not asking the believers to earn their salvation, or better yet, work to earn their salvation. But rather, he says that our salvation in Christ requires us to confirm or demonstrate that we have it. Notice what he says in verse 10. He says, therefore, brothers, oh, by the way, the word Greek, Adelphoi, is there, brothers and sisters. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. I would underline those words. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Now, notice what we have in verse 10. There is an imperative in this sentence that speaks of the zeal, the diligence, and the expending energy it takes to grow in our faith. At the same time, there's also a present tense within the verb, which means that this salvation that we have, this working out our faith, this is an ongoing process. In other words, notice that Peter now calls for the believers to work out their faith diligently and with zeal, recognizing that growing in faith is an ongoing process until the day the Lord calls us home. This is the same thing that Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, when he says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But again, coming back to the text, notice what Peter says. He calls the believers to continue to work out their calling and their election. In other words, Peter is now teaching us that the call of God is both elective and it's also effective. Meaning this, elective in the sense that God is the one who gives salvation. God is the one who offers faith. God is the one through his divine nature that has now freed us from our sin through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. We did nothing. Okay, the story of being floating in the water seeking a, a, a life raft, if you will, simply doesn't exist. Rather, what Peter teaches is this. We were dead in the bottom of the sea in our sin. And it was God who breathed life into us. It was God who brought us upon the shores. It is God who did the saving. We did nothing. Not only is it elective, Peter says it's effective. Meaning this, when the gospel is proclaimed, when the gospel is preached by God's grace through the Spirit of God, we respond. Now again, Peter is not trying to get into a fight over the doctrine of election here, but rather what he is trying to teach believers is that we now have a responsibility to own our faith and therefore grow in our faith. Peter says that we are not confirmed of our salvation because we pray to prayer. Peter's not saying that we are confirmed of our salvation because we responded to an altar call. Peter's not saying that we are confirmed of our salvation because we went to a six-week confirmation class or because we memorized some verses. No, we are confirmed in our salvation because of what God did in our lives and what God did through Christ for us and we are confirmed in our salvation as we grow in our likeness in Jesus Christ and how our growing now impacts the world around us. You see, we cannot highlight 
God's role in our salvation while at the same time ignoring or neglecting our responsibility to grow. Now this was important for Peter to make. This was an important point for him to make. Because during Peter's day, false teachers were now saying that because of this newfound salvation, you now have the license to do whatever you want. You have the license to sin because of your newfound faith in Christ. I mean, just think about that for a moment. This is what false teachers were teaching in the church. They were literally saying, look, because you were saved by grace through faith, and we could all amen and affirm that, because of what Jesus Christ has done in your life, we can affirm that. They were saying, now you can take that chair and go to your friend who doesn't share the same passion for your football team and beat them senseless with the chair and do it all in the name of God. You can't do that. Just because we have salvation doesn't mean that we all of a sudden have the freedom to sin. Look, our salvation is not the get out of jail free card and monopoly. It's not how it works. Maybe you don't play Monopoly. I don't know what games you've been playing this week. Maybe you played Uno. This is not that moment where your friend or your daughter lays down a draw four card and you play by the rule that says, I can throw another draw four down and now that person has to draw eight. That's not how our salvation works. No, Peter says, listen, election comes from God. It is God who did the saving. And it's out of that election That from us should come good works as we seek to strive and to live for him. So that in our lives it is God who is being glorified. You see for Peter his concern was to nurture the assurance of salvation. And not teach that you have to earn it. So Christian our calling and election are secure. In God through Christ. However, if we are not growing in our faith, then what will ultimately happen is we will be led to doubt the security that we now have in our election. And so Christian, can I encourage you today? Stay close to the word. Stay close to the gospel. Stay close to accountability. Stay close to your brothers and sisters around you. Stay close to your pastors and your elders and allow them to speak the gospel over their lives and then be prepared when the moment that comes when you may need to speak the gospel back over us. But either way, stay close to the gospel so that we can continue to grow and be sanctified and work out our faith for the glory of God. Notice what Peter says in verse 10. He says this. He says, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. I would underline that assurance that you now have. You will never fall. And it doesn't mean you're not going to sin. You are. But it means that you will persevere. Because God has hold of you. Now, to double down on this particular point of holding fast to these particular attributes and what it is that we now have in God, look at what Peter says in verse 11. He says this, For in this way there will be richly provided, I would circle that phrase right there, for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Man, what a word of encouragement that Peter has just given. He says, listen, if you continue to work out your faith, then know this, you will not fall. You continue to grow in these attributes, you will not fall. But know this, believer, that one day you will, in confidence, find yourself 
entering into the kingdom of God. In other words, you will not fall away because your eyes will be fixed on what is to come because your eyes are fixed upon Jesus Christ who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Notice that Peter picks up on the, on the theme of answering who will enter the kingdom of heaven. He says this, those whose life is characterized by the ongoing demonstration of Christ-likeness within their lives. I love what Thomas Schreiner says about this point. He says, Peter isn't describing salvation by works. Rather, he's describing salvation with works. Man, again, I told you to Circle that phrase, richly provided. If you circle that in your Bible, let's go there for a moment. Notice that what Peter's describing here in the Greek, if you read it in the original language, what it's literally describing is this. Peter's describing the homecoming of a welcomed friend. A friend who comes home and they are celebrated. A friend who comes home who is restored and a huge party is given in their name. Or better yet, maybe it's the, uh, the celebration of a victory parade of a champion who is returning home. Do you see what happens when we get to heaven? Some people have the most boring view of heaven. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you might be one of these people. If you're one of those people that think that you're going to walk to a gate and ask, is my name in the book? And they go, ding, ding, yes. And you walk in and that's it. I just want to say to you, your, your view of heaven is weak. That's not what's going to happen. It's going to be a celebration. There's going to be a, a party. There's going to be a festival. Because what was once lost is now found. And all of heaven will rejoice. And they're not rejoicing because of you. They're rejoicing because of the power of God that was at work in you and in me. Praise be to God. I could stop there, really. I can't. I'll finish. Man, Christian, I want to ask you, as we work out our faith and live out our faith and grow in Christ-likeness, do we see that we can be assured of knowing that we now have a salvation? Do we see now that we belong to Jesus Christ? Do we see that we now can return to him and one day we will return to him in victory and in celebration? I mean, what a day that will be. So Christian, let me encourage you today in the same way that Peter encouraged the believers and that is this, confirm your calling by seeking to grow and living out your faith in Christ Jesus. Confirm your calling by committing to the call that God through Christ has now placed upon your life. And so I have to ask, are we keeping the end in mind as we continue to walk through this life? Do we seek to grow knowing what is to, become, what is to come of us? Or do we find ourselves too focused on what is directly in front of us that we're missing the big picture, which is the kingdom that is to come? Christian, don't lose sight of the big picture. Do not lose sight of the call. Church, I want to tell you something. The Bible is very clear for us. God calls some to be saved. He also calls us to him by his grace in salvation. And it is by his grace that he makes sure that we arrive safely home in the kingdom of God. This is divine sovereignty. But at the same time, we now have to respond to God's grace in our life. 
And as Peter says, we do this by living out our faith in every aspect of our lives according to the word of God. In other words, as Christians today, we make important what the Bible calls important. We proclaim the gospel. We live the gospel, seeking to honor God in all that we say or do. That is human responsibility. Again, Peter is not looking for a theological battle here. But rather, he's seeking to show the distinction and the difference between us and between God. You see, there has always been a beautiful tension that exists between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. But ultimately, what that tension shows us is that God is God and we are not. This is the exact thing that Job learns in his own book. So Christian, can I tell you today, can you just be encouraged today that when it comes to stewarding the calling upon our life, you were called to commit to that calling and it's through that commitment that your calling can now be confirmed? Can you just live in that grace for a moment? Can you just live in that peace for a moment? You see, as Christians today, we can rest in knowing that we belong to God. We can rest in knowing that by his divine nature, we are being made more into his image. So let's do our part and continue to live and speak as one who now possesses the incredible gift that has been given to us by Christ through God for his glory. So as recipients of God's divine nature, through the saving work of Jesus Christ, may we join with Peter and the Gentile believers and say, never forget the calling. May we look and may we live more like him every day so that at the end of our days, when the celebration comes, we can join with the heavenlies and say to God and God alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray.